Industry Focus thanks our sponsor, Datasite One from Merrill Corporation, the market-leading due diligence app for the entire M&A lifecycle, helping companies worldwide close more deals faster. To learn more and sign up for a free demo, go to merrillcorp.com. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, July 19th, and we're talking Autodesk, ticker ADSK. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by Fool.com's Brian Faroldi. Brian, what's up? Hey, Dylan, how's it going? Hey, you know, it's it's worth noting here that we are taping this episode on uh, July 2nd. Uh, it will be live on July 19th. I have to pre-tape this one because I'm going to be out of the office for a little bit, Brian. Yeah, it sounds like you have an interesting vacation. Where are you off to? <laughs> I'm going to be heading to the Philippines uh, with my girlfriend, Jess. We're going back. She's from Manila, so we're going back to uh, go to a friend's wedding uh, and meet her family and like hang out there, which should be pretty fun. That sounds like a high-pressure vacation you're going on there, Dylan. <laughs> I've met her mom before. I haven't met her dad yet, and I haven't met her entire extended family. So I am uh, I'm working myself up a little bit, pumping myself up, trying to trying to learn what I can. I watched the Anthony Bourdain Parts Unknown episode about Manila the other night, so I'm feeling good. I'm feeling ready. I, I like it. Way, way to go. <laughs> Just dive head into that. See how that works out. Um, Brian, one of the reasons that I love having you on the show is that you are always bringing stock ideas to the table. I think more than most of our writers, you really like looking for new opportunities, new places for people to put their money. You came to me with an idea that you were really excited about, and that's why we're talking about Autodesk today. Yeah, Autodesk is a company that I don't think a lot of investors have on their radar or know about at all. And yet, this is a business that's worth about $30 billion. So, it is truly a software giant, but it does fly under the radar. So, for the unacquainted, what does it do? Yeah, so Autodesk's uh, their flagship product, uh, most listeners have probably heard of. It's called AutoCAD. So the CAD stands for Computer Aided Design, and this software has been around for uh, almost four decades now, and it's used by professionals of all types. So uh, uh, architects, uh, project managers, engineers, graphics designers, even like city planners and construction professionals, and they use uh, AutoCAD to design, fabricate, manufacture countless products. I mean, everything from small individual products to basically uh, city-sized projects. And uh, users can basically draw their, uh, their, their models in 2D or 3D, uh, print them out, make design changes uh, rapidly, so it's just a step change better than the old method of drawing things by hand. Any of our listeners out there that work in any of those fields, engineering, architecture, et cetera, are probably like, yes, finally, they're talking about AutoCAD, they're talking about Autodesk. Um, All the professions that you laid out there, they they have a bunch of different types of software, but they generally operate in a very specific type of software environment. Yeah, which is, I think, a big reason why this company goes under the radar a little bit uh, for most investors, because they don't make consumer products. A couple weeks ago, we talked about Adobe Systems, and I think a lot of our listeners have probably at least heard of or used maybe Photoshop or Premiere or something like that. Uh, To get into Autodesk's uh, products, and they have a a range, you really have to be a professional in that field. Uh, This isn't something that most people will play with on their own. Uh, And to give listeners a a sense, uh, their their main products are uh, AutoCAD. Uh, They also have 
a product called uh, Revit, which is for uh, building information modeling. Uh, Maya, which is used for high-end uh, 3D animations. It's used to make like 3D animated video uh, movies, for example. Um, Fusion 360 is used for product design. Uh, BIM 360 is used for construction management. And, and that's really just the, the tip of the icebergs and the, and the most well-known. This company literally has dozens of software products that, that are out there. One of the reasons to love them is they have made the tough and very difficult switch that almost all software companies have to make at some point. It's almost like going through puberty, where they, they were on the licensing model for uh, quite some time, and they have decided to make the switch over to software as a service. A little bit painful, but it's ultimately what you want to see for a business like this. Yeah, this is a trend that we've seen over and over again, and we've talked about numerous times in the show. Uh, Adobe Systems, Microsoft, Oracle, all the big com all the big software companies that have been selling software for decades under the licensing model uh, have transitioned over to the software as a service model. Uh, it is painful in the short term. Your revenue takes a hit. Your net income and your cash flow just sink. But after the painful transition period is over, uh, the, the, you just reap rewards for years and years. And that's exactly what we've seen from Autodesk over the last couple of years. All right, Brian, looking at the books for this company, let's talk financials. What do you see? Sure. So uh, Autodesk was pulling in about $2.5 billion in uh, fiscal uh, 2016, which was right before they really started to go whole hog in on a, a SaaS uh, transition. So the year after that, their revenue actually fell to about $2 billion. And it took about uh, three years for it to return to that $2.6 billion that it hit in 2016. So the last couple of years have seen basically flat on the top line. Uh, however, now that the transition is behind them and they are really starting to kick in on the uh, the SAF side, uh, their revenue is now growing very quickly. The estimates for uh, for fiscal 2020, which is the current year, is about 22% uh, top line growth. And uh, to give uh, an, a listener some uh, perspective, that number is about 40% uh, U.S. and 60% uh, international. So they do. This is predominantly an international business. And that is one of the reasons right there why you read the conference calls and you look at company management. Because I think if you are simply looking at the results the company has put up over the last couple of years, you are scratching your head and wondering why we're talking about this business. It looks ugly. You need to have the commentary and understand what's going on with the transition to SaaS and the expectations for where management thinks this business will be going. One of the reasons I'm so excited about this company is gross margins, Brian. This this looks like a SaaS company when it comes to gross margins, 89%, uh, and that's been climbing quite a bit over the last couple of years. Yeah, their gross margins were exceptionally strong, as we've seen in so many software companies uh, prior to the transition, because the licensing model is very lucrative. Uh, but uh, their gross margin did decline after the transition was happening, mostly because revenue was plunging. Uh, but we have seen a return of uh, gross margin rising in recent years. And I do think there's reason for investors to believe that that number can continue pushing higher as the scale continues to grow. Unfortunately, they are not profitable on a gap basis yet. Some of that tied to that transition like we were talking about. I imagine at some point down the road, you have a business that's putting off the margins that they are putting off. Uh, it's going to find a way to become profitable after these early investments have been made. So I'm not super concerned about that. There are some other things, I think, to be mindful of. They have a net debt position, uh, so more debt on the balance sheet than cash. Um, but there are some good things when you look at free cash flow and you look at their non-GAAP profitability. 
Yes, their non-GAAP numbers, as you said, which is a non-standard accounting record, are positive. Uh, the big reason for that delta is mostly because of stock compensation, which is something we'll touch on later in the show. And they also do have a, uh, a net debt cash position of about $1.1 billion in net debt on the balance sheet. Some of that is because this company has been actively repurchasing its own stock. They also make uh, acquisitions on occasion to kind of build out their software offering. Um, but if you can, the, the numbers here wouldn't scream out you fantastic. Uh, however, if once you get the, the, the idea of the transition in your mind, uh, you actually see that now that they're on the tail end, the numbers are going to get better and better from here. And they are pumping out uh, free cash flow. And all these numbers, I believe, are poised to rise substantially. So backward-looking financials aren't the best. Forward-looking financials look pretty darn good. If you are comparing a SaaS company to maybe a baseball player, one of the numbers that you want to see on the back of the baseball card is the net revenue retention rate number, right? I think that's pretty much like on-base percentage for for a SaaS company. You want to see that they are uh, getting customers to spend more uh, as each cohort ages a year out. It's kind of like a comps number for restaurants. We don't have a precise one here for this business, which irks me a little bit, but they give a range. Yeah, they say that their net revenue retention range is consistently between their target, which is 110% to 120%. Uh, as you said, we don't get an exact figure, but that is a healthy range to be in the middle of. So it does indicate that they are growing sales uh, within their current paying customer base at a uh, pretty healthy clip. And that, that range that they offer, uh, isn't the best that we've we've ever seen, but it is very strong for a company of auto uh, Autodesk size and scale. So I think investors should be pretty happy there. Yeah, what that really says is not only can they grow by acquiring customers once they have customers in the ecosystem, they will hopefully be collecting more dollars from them down the road as well. Um, it seems like there is quite an opportunity here. While some customers have made that transition to the SaaS model that they are trying to push, uh, a lot of legacy customers have not. And that remains, I think, one of the big growth levers for this business. Yeah, that was the thing that jumped off at me at the page when I was starting to research uh, this company really in depth. So again, Autodesk has had its software under a licensing model for decades. And when you do that, you as a user, if you paid the hefty licensing fee, say five or even 10 years ago, uh, that software still works on your computer. You can still design with it. Uh, when they made this, the SaaS transition to a subscription model, they, they've converted about 4.3 million of their customers over to a SaaS model, which sounds like a huge number. Uh, but the exciting thing for investors is there are 18 million active users of their software. So that means that 14 million people are out there actively using Autodesk's products, are dependent on it, but have not yet subscribed. So that is a massive untapped opportunity for this business. Sometimes you'll hear numbers like that when you talk about a freemium model business, right? I know, like, when I was looking at the prospectus for Dropbox, they were saying, oh, we have like this tiny portion of paying members and then hundreds of millions of people that use the service or tens of millions of people that use the service for free. And they always love to promote the idea that, oh, we have this huge growth lever if we can just convert a slightly higher percentage of those free users. But these are people that are actually paying for the software and will probably need an upgrade at some point. You know, you can only run on legacy software for so long before it starts to become a hindrance to your business. 
Yeah, that's that's the exciting thing here. As you said, these were 18 million people who purchased the, uh, some Autodesk product at some point in the past and just have yet to make the transition to the, the SaaS model. And Autodesk is uh, wisely uh, investing heavily right now in R&D to make the software as a service product as compelling as possible. I mean, one thing that they call out that I'm particularly excited about is they're investing heavily in augmented reality and virtual reality functionality um, so that they can build that directly into their products. And while those markets haven't caught on on the consumer side, I can easily see them being a big deal in the construction business. I mean, uh, imagine, for example, that you are want, want to build a house and you're working with an architect. Well, using uh, augmented reality or virtual reality, you could literally put on a headset using AutoCAD software and walk through the designed house before any anything was being built at all. So you as the consumer can go around and see what the lighting looks like, see what the layout looks like, and that's when you can really give feedback to the designer, um, and it will also help the designer to close on the sales process. So I think that a the ARVR angle is a huge growth driver, for, could potentially be a huge growth driver for this business in the long term. Yeah, that's some like Jetsons level tech in in my view. You know, that's the kind of thing that you just kind of wildly fantasize about being possible uh, at some point down the road. Um, one of the other things I think to be excited about with this company is they see a far larger total addressable market out there than what they are currently capturing in revenue. Yeah, uh, they, they, they call out infrastructure, uh, the, the global rising middle class, and uh, a huge uh, push towards, uh, believe it or not, green design to make, to make buildings as energy efficient and uh, with as few resources as possible as all drivers to push more people into relying on AutoCAD products. So for a sense of uh, a scale here, management pegs its total addressable market opportunity today at about $48 billion. They see that number jumping to $59 billion by 2023. And for perspective, their revenue estimate for this year is $3.3 billion. So literally 10x TAM potential as management sees it. Yeah, a lot of big growth opportunities for this business. We're going to talk about some other things people need to be aware of over on the back half of the show. But before we get over there, Industry Focus thanks our sponsor, Datasite One from Merrill Corporation the market-leading due diligence app for the entire M&A lifecycle, helping companies worldwide close more deals faster. Why choose Datasite One? They have a quick setup. New projects can be set up in minutes. They also make easy document uploads and organization possible. Datasite One has simple, intuitive uploading and document organization with drag-and-drop controls to organize your data room, and powerful tools for managing folder and document access permissions. They also make redaction fairly simple. Datasite One is the only due diligence app with redaction and unredaction integration, helping manage this typically time-consuming process in half the time of standalone tools. And they offer ironclad security. Multi-level controls and permissions prevent accidental information sharing, and advanced watermarking provides added security to documents. To learn more about Datasite One and sign up for a free demo, go to merylcorp.com fool, speak to an expert at Datasite One like our team did, and learn how to accelerate your due diligence. Again, that's M-E-R-R-I-L-L-C-O-R-P dot com slash fool to sign up for the free personalized demo. We thank Merrill Corp for their support. 
All right, Brian, uh, you have a ringer that you like to throw stocks through, and we have talked about some of the things that I think a lot of people would tend to hit on when they are looking at a business. Looked at the books, looked at some of the opportunity out there. We're going to dig into some of the things that you always make sure to check the boxes on. One of the first things, particularly in the software as a services space, is customers. Specifically, do we have customer concentration? Yep. So we you like to think about customers from uh, a number of angles because uh, the entire SaaS model just falls apart if you have trouble attracting and importantly retaining customers. So that's how uh, that's why I, we like to put these things uh, any business through um, a checklist. So on the customer side, uh, is acquiring them expensive? Well, in Autodesk's uh, case, I do think the answer is yes there. Uh, there are significant barriers to entry to learning how to use the, the, pro the, the software, and the company spends heavily on uh, sales and marketing to get the word out. Uh, those investments, I think, are worthwhile because, uh, as we saw from the net dollar uh, expansion rate, uh, once they do become customers, they do become very sticky. So that expensive uh, is, is OK in my books. Uh, are they dependent on, on the software? Well, I think the answer is yes, they are. Once you take the time to go through and learn it, you continue to use it. Um, is Autodesk's revenue recurring? Uh, in this case, yes. Now that they've made the transition to a SaaS model, their revenue is almost all recurring in nature. And does this company have pricing power? Well, we've seen the gross margin rising in recent years, so I think the answer is, is yes. Uh, so overall, I think that these are typical things that you see of any successful soft business, successful software as a service business. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think you're absolutely right there. And one of the things that it's it's not a very measurable thing. I mean, I guess you could look at market share, but the the thing that I love to see with the software as a service segment is is whatever this company offering industry standard. And if so, then it's going to be really hard. Even if the acquisition costs are a little high for customers, it's going to be really hard for someone else to come in there and disrupt the model because. Not only do you have um, all of the regular stickiness that comes with a software product, but you have market-leading position, which is huge, and you have customers that truly need the product. In the case of these designers, these architects, these engineers, and and so that makes me um, willing to give the benefit of the doubt to a company that may have some higher acquisition costs than the average business. Yeah, and and these are products that take. You know, months or even years to really master and learn how to use. So once you've spent the time uh, to do that, uh, the, the switching costs just become uh, enormous. So that's something that's very attractive uh, for for investors. All right. Next on the checklist, we have management and company culture. What do you see there? Uh, well, let's start at the top. So the CEO is An Andrew An Anagost. Uh, he has only been on the job for a few years. Uh, so one thing that we like to see as foolish investors is huge inside ownership. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case uh, here. He, uh, he owns about uh, 31,000 shares of stock, which is worth about uh, $5 million uh, at current prices. I mean, that's not nothing, but this is a $30 billion business. So that is, it's not even close to a rounding area. Uh, uh, but the good thing is for investors is that the CEO is required to own six times his base salary in stock. Uh, so that way his incentives are sort of aligned with investors. Um, and, but the business is 
almost 40 years old. Uh, this has been publicly traded for a long time. It's been a very successful company. It would be um, kind of wrong of us to assume that the inside ownership rates would be very high here, but that is something that uh, we always like to see. Uh, but let's look at the, at the culture. You know, we always check out companies on Glassdoor.com. This company gets four stars out of five on Glassdoor. Uh, the CEO rating is 84%. So employees seem to like working here, and they seem to give it good reviews. So not the best management and company culture that we've ever seen, but I think it's perfectly acceptable. All right. And when you look out big picture at the business, any big red flags for you? Uh, no, I mean, you mentioned one before about customer concentration. Uh, the company does have more than 4 million paying uh, customers at this point, which uh, we, we talked about is a small number compared to what we think it could be in the long term. Uh, the industry itself does not face any near-term uh, or long-term headwinds. In fact, there are significant tailwinds uh, behind this business. Uh, the one thing I will point out is uh, this business does rely on an outside force for success, more so than we've talked about with other SaaS businesses. I mean, these guys sell their, their software to architects, construction managers. So there is uh, a need for worldwide spending on infrastructure and building projects to be strong. You could see if that industry did take a cyclical downturn that uh, it would be very hard for Autodesk to grow. Now, offsetting that is their amazing opportunity to convert current customers. So they may be able to at least uh, tread water, if not post modest growth, even during an industry downturn. Uh, but that is something for investors to keep in mind. Uh, and then finally, we always look at stock-based compensation, uh, which was not insignificant. Uh, this company spent $250 million uh, last year in stock-based compensation, which that's a pretty that's a pretty high number for a company that's doing about just over three billion in revenue. Um, but offsetting that is this company has been a buyer of its own stock pretty heavily, so that its share count has actually declined over the last couple of years, even with a pretty heavy uh, stock-based compensation. So nothing that really would be a red flag for me, but maybe a slight yellow coloration flag on some of these. What what gets me excited looking at a business like this and looking at the growth rates that management is throwing out there is, you know, you think about um, the growth that a company might be putting out there and the subscription rates and the renewal rates and all that types of stuff. So they're so they're saying like twenty two percent growth. That's kind of what they're eyeing. Twenty six percent growth compounded for three years puts a company at a double, just about. And so, if if you're in a business where most of your revenue is recurring, you have customers spending more money, and you're growing in the low 20 percentage points, uh, even though they're already a fairly large business for SaaS, um, for a niche SaaS company, I still think there's a lot of room for this company to grow, especially if they can maintain growth rates in the high teens or low 20s. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, $30 billion that we've talked about a couple of times with their market cap sounds huge, but Adobe cracks $100 billion, and Microsoft is a trillion. So, when you think about those numbers for, for comparison, even though Autodesk does provide a more niche products than, say, Microsoft would produce, uh, I believe that there is still substantial upside, even though this company is very sizable already. And uh, you mentioned the, the growth rates, which are, which are very strong. And Wall Street is pricing this business uh, for growth. Its stock has been a terrific performer over the last uh, couple of years, and the valuation here is stretched. Uh, we see about 13 and a half times uh, sales right now, and about 36 times uh, next year's uh, non-GAAP earnings. Uh, those are those are high numbers, but I believe that the business has so much going for it, and its growth is is so uh, there's so much visibility into this company's growth that those numbers are not crazy. I think that this stock is actually a buy today. 
Yeah, are you uh, putting this one on your watch list right now, Brian? Oh, yes. This one is actually at the top of my watch list right now. <laughs> Anyone who listened to the uh, July 4th week episodes that uh, we did with all the hosts from Industry Focus might remember that Jason Moser and I were both very excited to talk about Autodesk as a stock on our watch list, so much so that we ran into each other during the taping and <laughs> didn't realize that we'd both independently had that as our one to watch. So I, too, have it on my watch list. And I think um, once I have the gap in uh, not having talked about the company and having solid internet access so I can access my brokerage account, I will be probably initiating a small position in Autodesk. That would make two of us, Dylan. (laughs) That's good company to be in. Thanks for joining us today, Brian. Thanks for having me. Listeners, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, you can shoot us an email over at industryfocus at pool.com, or you can tweet us at mfindustryfocus. If you want more of our stuff, subscribe on iTunes, or you can check out the videos from this podcast over on YouTube. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass. For Brian Feroldi, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on! Fool on!